Hi, my name is Michelle Liano. Hi, I'm Luna Liu. Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Elise. And we're from The Grieving Six. Hope you enjoy. Today we'll be reading a poem from the book Grief Sequence called Sequence 2, which was written by Paragata Sharma and published very recently in 2019 by Wave Books. Now we're going to be reading the poem Sequence 2. Exploited or imminent, death or dying. I had no warnings, only complications. Due to the low incidence of brain metastasis, death and dying. There is generally no requirement for an MRI examination, death and dying, or of the brain and cervical spine of patients with esophageal cancer. Japanese studies have even opposed the routine brain CT examination of patients with esophageal cancer. Death and dying suggest that with the rapid development of medical imaging technology, particularly the application of MRI and death or dying, the use of enhanced contrast agents in neural imaging. Faster, death and dying, and earlier detection of brain metastasis of esophageal carcinoma. Death and dying has become possible. Currently, death and dying for the detection and evaluation of tumor lesions, MRI is superior to CT. Therefore, the prompt use of MRI is necessary for the early detection of brainstem, death and dying, and spinal cord metastatic lesions. Certain death studies have considered the use of adjuvant death and dying chemotherapy following the restriction of esophageal carcinoma death and dying to increase the risk of brain metaphysis. Implicit or imminent, death or dying, it has been confirmed that the distant metastasis of esophageal cancer, death and dying, depends predominantly on the lymphatic and blood systems. The most common pathway for death and dying brain metastasis of esophageal cancer is hematogenous dissemination through the article circulation. In 1940, the Batson venous plexus was proposed, death and dying, as a pathway for the brain metastasis of esophageal carcinoma. However, the role of the vertebral venous system in the brain metastasis of esophageal cancers is supported by a more recent study. The present case, death and dying, may be more illustrative of the importance of the vertebral vascular system for cerebellar, brainstem, and spinal cord metastasis from esophageal cancer, as all three regions are anatomically associated with the same vertebral vascular system, which is distinctive from the venous system of the thoracic and lumbar spine and brain. Outcome, death and dying. Brain metastasis are often treated with multiple therapies, including death and dying surgery, radiation and chemotherapy. Complete removal of the lesions is the goal of surgical treatment and may improve survival rates. However, this generally only applies to patients with a high KPS score or to those with single, solitary tumors. Academic journal findings do not have a habit of crying out death and dying. 
among their characterizations of what lies between each hospital visit. I had no worries, only complications. So Luna, what do you think about the poem generally? I think the entire poem is analyzing a kind of deadly cancers, and the author gives many cases studies to deeply break down this deadly disease from its possible causes to how it dismantled, and finally the possible treatments. From a shallow interpretation, this poem is describing fatal cancer that the author got by using cases and biological terminologies. And from my point of view, I saw this poem represents the author going to each doctor visit and finding out a new solution, but then also a new problem, and maybe a, a new solution to that problem, but then another problem also comes up. Throughout this poem, we both notice several patterns and reoccurrences in the text.、Uh, the first pattern we noticed was the words "I had no warnings, only complications." So, at the very beginning and the end of the poem, the author repeatedly claimed, "I have no warnings, only complications." Perhaps by the time he this author realized she has brain cancers, it was too late for her. She already has those complications along with this disease. There's no atmosphere of sadness, desperation, and helplessness around this poem. It seems like the author was giving up on the road to finding possible treatments. This deadly disease came so quick and quiet before she feels something is not right inside his body. At the end, her sorrow became helpless. After research so many cases of this disease, she gave up. Yeah.、Uh, with the second pattern,、uh, the words "death" or "dying" appearing, the way I interpreted that was that was the author's thoughts. So in this poem, there's lots of medical terms, and it's kind of a hard read. But when you start reading the words "death" and "dying," That are in brackets. You start to realize that the author is feeling that way every time.、Mm-hmm. The author is given a new, a new treatment. She's thinking it's either death or dying, or death and dying. Yes. Yeah. And those are her two choices. Like she doesn't actually hear the treatments. She all she hears is death or dying. Yes. Okay, so we just realized that the entire poem is、um, keeps using I as first person, which is、uh, implied to how Chance saying that he's kind of like marginalized writer. Yeah, so Chen used the word I to represent his LGBTQ identity. Yeah, and with Sharma, we think she's using I to represent her. Health and her emotions towards her health. Yeah, since she's keeping keep wandering from death or not death. Yeah. Yeah, and she's keeping thinking maybe she could find a there's a treatment,、mm-hmm. maybe could cure her. But at the very end, she eventually giving up on herself. Yeah, and that's where like the quote, "I have no warnings, only complications."、Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So every time. 
she mentions like death or dying. That is her thinking of her health as death or dying, and that I she identifies with that that she's dying or she's experiencing mm-hmm. death. Yes. Chance wants to us to understand the how the emotional states of marginalized writers. We su- we're supposed to like directly going through the flow of the whole poem. Yeah, and read it as what they're telling us, mm-hmm. and not, not try to guess. Yeah, not try to guess. Yeah, yeah like, and try to really, really go in depths of the poem. Yeah, without any guessing, just feel feel the flow of the poem. Yeah, and yeah. that's why they use I the le- the word I as in I the author, not I as in. I me or I Luna.、Mm-hmm. It's I Chen and I Sharma. Yes. So we're understanding it from their perspective, not ours. We're just、mm-hmm. kind of like looking in. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, I'm Alex, and I'm Elise. Our first interpretation will be from the complicated spiritual grief parts one and two. Alex, how do you feel that the title represents the poem? I think that it it represents the poem from trying to see through the walls of the biases in spirituality, and how it connects to your grief. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's really important to notice how this person is when struggling with such dark issues, and when you like she says, "I am a non-believer," and when you are a non-believer, I feel like it's hard to do that. When so many people turn to God and stuff, when they feel like they're in a really dark place, which obviously this is for her. But then, why do you believe that she goes on to from saying、uh, how, though I do not really believe in a Christian God or devil, I was left facing one, and then goes on to say I'm a non-believer. Yeah, I think that's a really important contrast, just because she's saying she doesn't really know how to fathom how this could be happening because. Obviously, the cancer is super aggressive, and it's just kind of taking over him. And she says it's referred to as beastly and pure evil. So things like that is she was left facing a devil, basically, despite not believing in one, because she just doesn't really know how to fathom something that horrible happening. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it goes on to say from the beastly idea, interpreting that word into what she's trying to say, how it's very unpleasant and cruel and unrestrained. And from saying it was in the beginning of the poem, saying it was violent, and it wasn't seeing like the two different parts of what he was going through, obviously, and how it was violent for her, and how it wasn't for her, for both of them, I guess. Yeah.、Um, and just how much like impacted them.、Mm-hmm. I think it's also in the next part of the part one. She talks a lot about the relationships she has with other people, how other people like can relate to the death of her husband versus her. She says the word spindly, which is meaning weak and not really like suffering is bad. I interpret it as, and I feel like she just thinks, despite everyone giving their condolences and things like that, no one can really understand the pain she's going through. She says all these spindly parts, tumor shaped, and even things painted for me—some faulty and some careless—they're just in the end meaningless additions, and they're not going to help her pain. But then also, why am I saying this? How could I not love his friends or students? 
She just doesn't really know how to feel about it and not be so pessimistic about other people. Yeah, I feel like it's just kind of the backbone behind it, behind the spindly griever's meaning. It's just basically what you said and how she just can't really see how people can relate to her and just don't want to accept people's grief because she has her own way of dealing with it and doesn't want anyone to feel like they're going through what she's going through. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And then moving on to part two, it goes on to talking about how she's still a non-believer who believes in the culture around her. And she was just talking about how her husband said that men were always falling from buildings out of fear, anguish, alcoholism, a particular self-destruction from self-annihilation and pinhole pains. And I just think that this is connecting to her feelings because it's talking about how you destroy yourself from these small spots of pain that only last for a little bit, but you allow yourself to take it in heavier than it should be. Yeah, pinhole pains is kind of complicated and I didn't really understand it, but yeah, would I, I agree that it could be something to do with small damaging pains that won't kill you, but they're definitely going to set you back and make things worse. And also in this one, she's talking about just the daily things that they always did just watching mad men and stuff like that essentially that's what i got from that so what do you think the poem in a whole has to do with how the two parts connect i mean she brings over the non-believer side and i think it's just kind of her trying to grasp his death without believing in god and like trying to think of something tangible that she can associate it with because these things are so devastating at the end she's saying so what now i just grieve and i lust for company that i can't even ask for she turns into her own madman and then she talks about like did he enter my body his energy can i be him lusting for himself which is definitely a more spiritual look on it So I feel like that's interesting. Yeah, I definitely think that she's just stuck on what she's supposed to move on to. It's obviously been a period of time since her husband's death, and she realizes she can't be trapped in this pain forever. She can't keep grieving in this way, especially with the pinhole pains, letting the small spots always get to her, bring her down. And I think she's just trying to figure out how she can't be lusting for him anymore because at the end she talks about can i be him lusting for himself Mm -hmm. and she's trying to live through his life live through what he believed and see the world as he did yeah which is okay to keep with her but Mm -hmm. it just kind of gets to a point where it's just breaking her down too yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense when looking at the structure of these poems you can kind of Notice how there's no line breaks and it's in paragraph form opposed to stanza form. So it's in prose, which I think kind of represents her sadness and just when you're feeling such like deep thoughts, you kind of just jumble your thoughts together and they kind of just pour out and you can't really break them up or break them down, I guess, and kind of see what specifically you're feeling. And when we look at the idea of social activism, we kind of just took the idea of the imagery that Pragita showed in throughout the poems of part one and part two, and when necessarily looking into how she said Dale always said men who are always falling from buildings out of fear, anguish, alcoholism, and particular self-destruction from self-annihilation, which is pinhole pains. So I kind of just tied it together with how she said earlier in part one through the spindly grievers, which are how we interpreted it was people who are trying to 
coincide with her pain and say they know how she feels when really she's just going through it on her own. In a way, it's social activism because she's standing up to them and saying that they don't understand what she's going through because she is a wife grieving of the loss of her husband from a really, really obviously cruel and unrestrained cancer that like impacted their entire relationship and her life. And they're really just onlookers, which kind of ties together with the pinhole pains because it's the smallest spots that hurt at different times and they just last for different moments of time. All right, thank you for listening.